Needled by Joshua, Philelia, and Dean Ward. Natania slipped the needle into her arm. The relief was instant, the high sickening, but everything she wanted. She released her tie off and sat back on her sofa, awaiting the full kicking. Her head rolled to one side. She observed Denver's lights behind her apartment window. The colours corroded into a single unidentified shape. Natalie took a deep breath and drifted away. Hours passed and she awoke. The world around her was cold, quiet and normal. Everything she hated, Natalie plucked the syringe from her arm and glanced at the needle as so recently rested within her veins. is only thing capable of bringing comfort into her chaos. She pinched the edge of the needle, wiped away the blood and placed it next to a small baggie and some condoms on the end table. She'll see her friend soon again. Again came sooner than ever Annette expected. She followed routine, strange, high sleep, and back to reality, but this time after waking far later than usual, a heavy praying growled in the pit of her stomach and sent chills for her bones. She knew what was happening. She was experiencing it many times before. And with each withdrawal, her body was only wanted more. She reached the baggie, empty. Natalie staggered to the kitchen and reached for the refrigerator, barely managing to pull it open. Small vials chimed inside a container in the door. She yanked a vial from the box, made way to a nearby drawer and found them. Hands shaking, she pulled a syringe from its sleeve and filled it with liquid from the vial. She hoped she had measurement correct. Her eyes couldn't focus and have to do. She sat at the kitchen table and struck the small needle into the AFI. Nelodoxin made its way into her system. Again she felt better. Again she pulled the syringe away. She glanced at her friend. He was always been there for her. There was always available when she needed him. Natalie appreciated that. Her fringes provided her more affection than any man she'd ever known, and she came to know many in her line of work. But like all of Natalie's friends, they would eventually betray her. Some day they'd leave her alone to die. Natalie looked at the clock before the kitchen sink inside. She was late for work. He promised Natalie you'd get her high if they could go back to her place, maybe have a drink, maybe more. She needed to get high. It had been hours since her last fix, and she couldn't hold off any longer. So she agreed. Besides, he wasn't so bad. She felt a lot worse, or a lot less. This one was a businessman, he, she was sure. Even more than that, a gentleman. Natalie invited him inside. He dressed like he had money, and lots of it. He wore a three-piece Domoli suit and spoke with an accent. She couldn't make out until... Unlike most of John's, he smelled nice. Have you done? Have you ever done this before? Natalie asked. Not like this, the man said, a slight smirk raising at the corner of his voice lips. Natty unbuttoned his collar and whispered in his ear. I know just the thing to start us, get us started. She reached into her breast packet and pulled from it a small baggie. Natty gathered her kit, cooked the shit on the same handy. Blackened spoon, as always, tied off the coke stop for vain, 
and slid the needle with practice ease. After drugs entered the bloodstream, they kissed. He didn't rush it. He took his time and embraced her as if he actually cared for the woman he just met. His moves were soft and precise. Natalie didn't have to fake it. For the first time in years, she was aroused. But once he was inside her, everything changed. The passion was gone. His actions were robotic. Natalie opened her eyes and looked directly into his. Something strange dwelled within them. Something terrifying. She saw a darkness, blacker than the night. The sect was agonizing. The high was starting to fade. He was big, too big, and no desire to use it like a gentleman. She thought it was. After a few minutes more motions, she had enough. That she tried to pull away, but the man resisted and pressed his body deeper within hers. It's too late to back out now, he said. When Natalie tried to speak, the man shoved his tongue into her throat. Well, silencing the protest, his tongue was sharp. She tasted blood. Natalie had no choice but to endure. His athletic vein was so far much stronger than hers. If she resisted, it might become violent. She pushed her fears aside for the moment and with much hesitation allowed him to continue. It won't be much longer, Natalie told herself. Beads of sweat gathered on his forehead. The drops drew heavier and flew, fell on Natalie, which, which fuss. When he reached climax, he moved with more intensity. Sweat pulled where his flesh met. Where his flesh met. Natalie counted the seconds, waiting for it to be over. When he finally finished, it felt like a million pinpricks exploded inside her. Natalie cried out in pain. When he awoke the next morning, the man was gone. She never learned his name. After recalling the night's events, she had hoped that she never would. Natalie rolled over to the check the clock on the nightstand. But her body objected. Soreness spread through her pelvic regions and threatened her for moving too quickly. At arsehole. Natalie fell back in, uh, into her pillow and stared at the ceiling, gently massaging her abdomen. For a few moments, she tried again, this time with success. And when she returned to see the clock, numerous stacks of cash obscured a view. One hundred dollars, fifty dollar bills, twenty dollar bills, all neatly bundled. There were more stacks on the bed, the floor and the dresser. More money than Natalie had ever seen. What the hell? Maybe he felt bad for what he'd done. Should have done. He just should have, Natalie thought. Or maybe it was down payment for future investments. She wasn't sure. What she was sure of, though, that she needed the money. Her choice, her drug of choice wasn't cheap, and she needed more soon. But the realization that he gave, almost forgave the man for his crudeness at the most. That he reached to examine the stacks of money when the pain spread through her abdomen. Pain was something different than before. It was something new. Weeks and months passed. Natalie tried and tried again to fight her desires and dependencies. She knew she had to. She was responsible for more than herself. She was pregnant. But her friends demanded attention. And a small fortune the man left on her bedside. Only made it easy to fall back into their arms. After another failed attempt at sobriety, Natalie couldn't resist any longer. It wasn't just her thought of denying her precious friends. It was the need to relieve the terrible illness plaguing her body. In her absence, or maybe it was a morning sickness, perhaps both, she wasn't sure. Natalie struck by the needle in her arm, the relief was always for instant. 
felt from so many except the jabbing kicks coming from her midsection. It's okay, she said. About her belly, all better now. She plunged a syringe from her vein and looked every and like every other time, glanced back, but this time she pulled a friend a friend away. The needle was gone. Natalie's eyes grew wide with fear. Was the was the high pain with her? She blinked hard and refocused, staring back at the object in her hands. She saw the syringes, but no needles were affixed to it. Like a deep itch, Natalie felt a tug, a slow pulling, coming from within herself, gliding the, the needle through her body to the baby. She dropped the syringe and screamed. Natalie mustered the last of her strength and drove to the hospital, clutching her belly a tire away. She didn't have much time. The needle would be nearing the baby soon. If it wasn't re- ready, she pressed all her weight upon the gas pedal. Neither red nor screeching tires could help stop her. The driver door opened and Natalie fell off on the vehicle into the dimly lit parking lot. She pulled herself up and felt a panic rising inside long enough to make it to the hospital entrance. She collided with one of the automatic doors as it slid open. Blood trickled from her, heart, from her heart arm and speckled the white floor. With each of her staggered steps, somebody help my baby, Natalie screamed. A woman nibbling on a sandwich at a reception desk glanced over to her computer over her computer monitor. I was waiting in the emergency room held tight against her own wounds. A young man with bloody bandages wrapping his forefinger snickered. Get in line, lady. I pointed to a row of seats, holding soon-to-be patients with varying injuries. Natalie ignored him and approached the desk. What's the nature of the emergency, madam? The receptionist said between bites. Natalie said, collecting the words, she tried to find a way to make sense of the situation. Uh, and the, the, the needle. The receptionist swallowed the last of the meal. And Natalie handed Natalie a clipboard with some paperwork. Fill this one out and have an ID, your ID and insurance card ready. Natalie scowled. Her life was in danger. Her baby's life was in danger. She nearly crashed more than once on the way to the hospital. And the, this woman, this bitch, and gave her a shit. Natalie slapped the clipboard away. Paper fluttered to the floor. Help. I need help, goddammit. Madam, I'm going to need you to calm down, the receptionist said in an irritated glare. Calm down, I need a fucking doctor. The receptionist has picked up the phone for a receiver. I punched in a series of numbers. The announcements echoed across the hospital walls. Code grey to lobby, code grey. A security officer guard rushed into the foyer. The woman at the desk pointed in that direction. The guard closed in. What's the problem, madam? The guard asked. Thin trails of blood flowed from the puncture marks on Natalie's arms below her wrists to the edge of her fingertips. Natalie stumbled. Her vision blurred. She was starting to fade. My baby, the needle. The guard clutched Natalie's shoulders to keep her from falling. A nurse entered and joined him. He stepped her at the ready. Madam, were you using? Natalie could feel the high fanning fast. She sobbed. The nurse placed one of end of his step against her chest and listened through the other. The total surprise Natalie. It was cold, cold enough to pull her focus back to say 
It's inside me. Natalie struggled to open her eyes. The room was bright and smelled like Mirasol. Muffled beats and other electronic noises filled the air. The voice cut the haze. Can you tell me your name? The voice startled her. Natalie had tried to speak, but her voice throat was dry. She swallowed and said, Natalie, and your last name, Vino. Natalie tried to focus on the blurry figure huddling above her. Where am I? she asked. Beta Belfasting. The words rattled through her brain for a few moments before she had a question made answer. July 5th. Where the hell am I? Yeah. Just tell me where I am. Fuck, I am. Natalie's vision returned. She saw a middle-aged woman staring back at her through the thick glass through thick glasses. Said, Luke, you drove yourself. Do you remember any of that? Natalie paused and collected her thoughts. The nurse pushed her glasses up the rim of her nose. You're lucky to be alive, you know. You and a baby. Natalie was quiet. You're going to have to stay here for a few days. Someone from the social services will be speaking with you soon. Natalie brushed her in her arm and remembered the needle. Did you, did you find it? Did you get it out? The nurse looked puzzled. Find what? The needle, Natalie said. A call came from the front desk. Incoming, code blue. The nurse was already distracted. Hold tight, sweetie. Dr. Coffin will be here in a second. The nurse made her way to the exit. Natalie's eyes were wide with fear. No, please don't leave. But the nurse was already gone. Natalie looked up for saw a plastic, plastic ID bag hanging from a pole next to her bed. She watched as a life-saving fluid travelled down the tube and entered her body. A tingling sensation came from the IV inserted in her hand. Natalie squeezed her fingers together to shake her, away the feeling. The liquid inside the, the bag depleted. Her fist went wet and the fluid poured from the IV tube in, in, onto the floor. Oh my God, Natalie screamed. She felt the tug return and watched the shape of the attached IV needle take its way to her arm beneath the surface of her skin. Natalie pinched it in a feeble attempt to slow its movement, but no matter how much pressure she applied, the needle continued path through her veins. Natalie cried and tore the tape, securing the IV away. She ran from the room, throwing people, trays and gunneries from her. She ignored the staff please to come back. Whatever this was, they wouldn't be able to help. Natalie needed to... She ran away from the room, throwing people trace gunmen. She went on and stopped to come back. Whatever this was, they weren't able to help. Natalie needed to find another way to stop it. She rushed from the building and made her way to the parking lot. It was dark outside. No, no more than a few hours had passed. Natalie found a car in the same spot she left it. The driver's side door was open and the keys were likely still in the ignition. And Natalie got home. She sifted through a collection of home numbers, scratched them into her napkins, sticky notes and receipts, all stuffed into a kitchen drawer, holding a syringe. Suppliers would know what was happening. They have to. Odds were they sold to others who dealt with the same thing. She made some calls. Deaths and messages and chatted with others. Most laughed so hard they nearly dropped their phones. Others assured her she was high. 
and nearly all the calls ended with her contacts attempting to land another cell. God damn it, she threw her phone at the wall and curled into a fetal position on the sofa. She managed to massage her arm and felt for any sign of needle location. Nothing. But there, but they were there. But there, they were they. Somewhere, they gathered up and took residence inside of her. The thought was terrifying, but no more than she thought. Despite the needles hiding within, she seemed to be okay, and so did the baby. Should I not be dead? She thought, but she wasn't. Neither was the child. Frustrated, Natalie. Freed her laptop, but she opened Google and stared at the screen. She typed in a series of keywords: needles aside, needles left in body. How to retrieve needles from body? The search results for nothing save for a few articles of the tattoo mishaps and some short horror fiction. Fuck, she was on a dead end. There was no other options. She was had no alternative. She'd done what she always done to cope. She used and it. Each time she could shut up, and he would stay behind. Natty's terror never abated, but she couldn't resist. The larger her bump got, the more she got high. The day finally came. Natty was about to go get high when it started. The contractions felt exactly as it soon. It was sharp and piercing, like needles stretching the roots through her body. They were not needles, they were rivers of childhood. Oh my God, the baby's coming, the baby's coming, that little screech and reached to the bathroom. She couldn't go back to the hospital. That was out of the question. After nurses and ability to understand and diagnose the situation, Natalie knew she had nothing to more than another junkie with a bad addiction. She tossed her syringe kit on the sink, filled the bathtub with hot water, with warm water, and her contraction diminished. A moment slipped in. Shit. Natty looked at the sink and saw her friends stop staring back at her. She needed them. He helped. They helped with the pain. They she, when she moved as soon as the sins, her body recoiled. The discomfort was too much. She had to do without them. Natalie dipped her naked body back into the body filter. A large window above the tub drowsed the room in city light. Natalie heard cars travelling several stories below. She focused on the signals. They were relaxing, tranquil, or distracting. Everything she needed. Everything like a, a high, like a high, not even close, but close, good enough for now. Natalie recalled things she'd seen on TV and the movies about childbirth. It's simple, she thought. Just had to breathe. She took looked fast by its breaths. Through the breathing helped out her mind at ease. It could do nothing against the first wave of contractions. Natalie screamed. She felt something large and comfortable but normal move inside her. A baby. She couldn't couldn't have spin the baby. Natalie felt it moved so many times before. She knew that child felt right and this was different. The movement came again and Natalie knew something was wrong. Perhaps an organ ruptured, had an easy funny bone damage. There's no answer to the, no other answer. Natalie wrapped her arms around a midsection and fought against the rising pain. Her belly expanded further, poking into the waterline. Natalie cried out, you've got to come out, the dome of the baby's head. 
pressed against the surface of her skin, Natalie pushed baby in thought of thrust and forced its body upward towards Natalie's navel. And then something punctured her flesh. Barbs emerged from Natalie's belly, dissecting her in a single vertical row. She stared in horror as her abdomen spit with gauge of blood. Her pain was replaced by shock and numbness. A crown of a child's head revealed itself within the body opening. A baby slowly unfolded within the void of the Natalie's midsection. The thing that the child didn't look human. Now cries of grass for air drowned out the sounds of sloshing water. But the cries were not of a child, they were for Nat- were Natalie. Though she sobbed, she did not move. She could not move. She was frozen with fear. Gouts of blood and awful fell from the child. A mix of the grass water Natalie vomited, adding to the mixture. The thing had it that the child began to creep. Natalie felt pressure on her spine as a creep could call from the midriff, which with every each of the moment she fought to keep her head above water. Natalie stretched her legs and wildly clenched and clenched her toes till she flipped the drain drain level of water there was fell fast. The thing that was the child slowly moved its way up Natalie's its barred feet escaped the confines of exposed inners. It made its way to her chest, stopped at the top of her heart, and rested its head beneath Natalie's chin. She wanted for the child to fall still. It wouldn't, there wasn't much time. Natalie was dying. She gazed at the thing, sitting in a bath of her mother's blood, and watched it breathe. It did great snubs. Shuddered. Its head twitched, and Natalie was repulsed. What the fuck? What the fuck? What? When the water completely drained, Natalie tried to sit up. She got, took, placed her arms on her side and pushed her, hand, her hands, slipped and she collapsed. The creature withered for a moment, but when it stopped moving, she tried again, this time with success, and propped herself into a sitting position. The movement startled the creature. It lifted its head, eyes shut tight and growled and snarled. Natalie grasped her breath, her body shivered quivered with terror and fear, nearly convulsing. The child opened its mouth. Natalie saw rows upon rows of pointed metallic teeth. They glistened in the light of needles. There was no time to react. The thing that the child was uh, that was a child lunged forward and drove its teeth to Natalie's head. It pierced her skull. The child fed on the nourishment oozing from its mother's brain. Something moved beyond the bathroom door. A shadow fell over the bathtub. A figure entered and watched the thing that was a child's consume its first meal. Natalie twitched a few times before falling still. Her blood gurgled into the drain. When the creature finished, the figure emerged. A man reached for the child who lifted it up to the light. A baby's eyes slowly opened. They were dark, darker than the night. The man cradled the creature in, into his arms, made his way to exit. A sharp light caught his attention. At a sink of the doorway, he stopped and saw them. Natalie's friends had syringes. He reached for them, placed them in, inside the breast pocket of his Jamano suit, and left Natalie alone. Her labour's done. Zuzor by Mario Ace Video.
The chime sounded, confirming the atmosphere checks were, were complete. Lights above the airlock flashed green, and the inner and outer doors of the Duzmia shuttle stood open. The planet's musty stale air flooded into the shuttle's exit foyer. My uh, nerves tingled with a precipitation. Fellow astronauts have been interned for eight, for eight years here on Tyre Sim Sigma 4. Prisoners of Euphrated War against Dismir. It was my job to start the process of bringing them home. I wondered in which state of health I'd find them and what kind of reception waited me. I stepped into the murky artificial light of the landing bay. A tall, slender man waited for me at the end of the ramp. And besides him, a standard helper robot balanced on its uh, uh, uniroller. I recognised the man from the dossier. Space Commander. From the dossier, Space Command provided. Ambassador Timothy Roach. Ambassador, being a lofty term that Roach kind bestowed upon themselves. The rest of us humans called him Zilgo. Chinese for lackey, which better described the role between us and our Dusmith masters. Though standing as imposing 1.9 metres in height, Roach seemed remarkable and meek. Zugu particularly betrayed a scheming Gomish men, as traitors often are. A tattered brim of a cap fielded his face, and weary blue eyes peered from within the swells, a wrinkled skin of sunken, sunken cheekbones, a bedraggled moustache dropped from the corners of his mouth. His tiny frame sagged forward and gave the appearance of wasting away. His hands were gnawed, and his fingers chipped and grimy like a mechanic's. Not what I expected from a civil bureaucrat. His brown outfit was decidedly vintage. Oddly, he carried a pistol holstered in his waist. I smirked as Zulu, but fond of parading about like the pretty warlords. Eight years ago, Desmer arrived in our little neighbourhood of the Milky Way. They tore through our solar system like avenging guards, seeming impotent in their huge opponent in their huge climbing limbing ships. And for all our technology and pride, we humans were like pests in their newly founded garden. Our defences were useless as gnats attacking a battleship. After six months, their conquest complete, the Duzma Amanda moved on. Earth was left behind, a colonized wreck, our civilization broken and traumatized. In the aftermath, people like Roach chose to accept the scorn of their fellow humans for the chance to integrate themselves at the feet of alien overlords. Some ambassadors presided over the richest districts on Earth lived like pampered royalty. Others, such as Roach, were assigned in claims on distant, isolated planets. Eight months ago, the Dismir issued the repatriation order. The prisoners were to be collected and returned to Earth, which was why I was here. I stepped down the ramp towards Roach, his gaze zigzagged from my face to my elephants and down to my body. His eyes lifted back onto my Back to my my face and allowed a disarming grin. My apologies, Colonel. Colonel Manda Nanzu, I replied. I know it's impolite to stare, 
But it's been a long time since I've seen a visitor. He spoke with a stilted infection. His English blended with a melody of accents from his library files. Welcome to my humble corner of the Dismal Empire, Amanda. Colonel Nunza, I replied, corrected him to mind him. I was on official business. His eyes cut to my left breast. What is that, Signa? Chief Fight Surgeon Astronaut. Ah, he grasped him in preparation, betraying an ambassador's fascination military accoutrements. A colonel and a doctor, I am honoured. Like a true rat, his words were dishonest, his attitude contemptuous. If you don't mind, Ambassador, we have work to do, I said. He led me down the steps of the bowling ramp. Interior of the blading blade looked like it hadn't seen recent use. Dust and oily patches covered the hydraulic servos and worked the roof panels and docking cradle my ship had settled into. Roach started out of the door and we trampled through a long corridor. A robot trailed at our heels like an obedient dog. From what I remember during the landing approach, the corridor connected to the landing bay with the main building, the only structure on the planet. One in, once in the main building, I detected the greasy small smell penetrating the musky odour. The assorted military lathes, press, wielding torches rested on brick plinths. Tools and piles of junk littered on the concrete floor, itself cracked and stained. Twisted ropes and rusty chains dangled from the gantry hoist. Stacks of lumber and piles of stopper just added to the neglect of rusted ambulance. Though the building was at large, it appeared to have a canoverous maintenance shed. Then a, a prison. I assumed a lot of repair work was going on. I had... I hadn't thought that what kind of custodial duties forgot by Roach, who was posted here alone as an agent of, of Dunsmer. But I did not imagine he did not work alone. He did all that work alone, especially if he had scores of trained and capable astronauts at his back on call. I looked for the evidence of the prisoners, the, the, either the astronauts themselves or the bunks were possessions. I always saw a broken down machinery and discarded odds and ends. He led me. He led me into his living quarters. The bright, the room brought to mind the lobby of a run-down hotel, furnished with scarred chairs and tables. A shabby carpet was rutted with years of roaches, footfalls, scratches, and things marred the walls. Only a few of the overhead lights worked. What caught my eye were pieces of wood assembled into abstract sculptures. What she's doing, I was sure. They were bizarre works, some of the height of tables, others scraping the ceiling parts, going every, every which way, and doubled in bright random colours. The sculptures gave the impression of faults bursting in all directions, but going nowhere, of desperation, desperate frustration. One resembled stocks to hold... Some, to hold someone bent forward at the waist, with shackles for the ankles and the neck hole, but strange, nothing to restrain the prisoner's hands. I consider the assembly a metaphor for Roach's predicament there. I realise he was at heart of all things, a very lonely man. But if that was his problem. I wasn't here to psychoanalyse him. My mission was to elevate the astronaut's prisoners and relay my report to the reparation team. We passed through the living quarters out in the rain-reinforced door. 
to an empty lot. The glare reflecting of the smooth dirt blinded me. What should I don sunglasses? Grassy rolling hills dotted the trees surrounded by the compound. This growth must have supplied the lumber. Frankly, the air smelled fresher. A tall wire fence marked the perimeter of the lots, and the di- and a distant storm clouds gathered above the horizon. As I scoped at the compound, I saw no evidence of anyone besides Roach. Where are the prisoners? Soon, replied Roach, replied evasively. What do you mean, soon? Within half an hour, you will see, you, then you'll see them. Senses and stun projectors toppled the fence posts, forcing facing upward. My mission briefly indicated the planet was a safe haven for the captives, not a concentration camp. Why do you need the need defence? I asked. Isn't isn't it just you and the prisoners? It's a very it's a little more complicated than that. He replied. Without look, look at me. Explain it then. He gestured towards a hovercraft. When I show you, then you'll understand. His vague answers only strode my loathing for him. Maybe the gun in his hip was more than decoration. The robot circled past us and clamped into the la- a large bracket of the- at the front of the cart. Roach and I occupied the centre seats and buckled up for- into safety harnesses. Like everything I've seen so far, the cart rolled on junk. Rust rimmed holes marked white- where rivets and bolts had broken loose falling away, strips of tape and crudely applied patches amended the tatty upholstery. Roach dressed it with his hands and, I, uh, and a hollow screen with a tire in front of him. A blinking orange light marked our position on the translucent map. Blue eyes showed that blue lights glowed in the cluster about three kilometres north of our location. Watch the drones, he said. For the astronauts, Roach didn't respond, his silence infratuitated me. There was little I could do. He answered to Dismar, not me or any other human. Our cart lurched forward, skimmed over the fence and cruised in the direction of watch our drones. I studied the passing visas and amazed by the progress of Dismar's terraformers made on this planet. It was originally just a rock and a few oceans of sterile water. They, what they made of, of it was nothing but Shortly impressive. We were always on the southern trip of an island train the size of Japan, which is overgrown with grasslands, dense thickness, thickets, and iridescent, iridescent forests. I hadn't been told it, that the Desma planted flora as well as flora. If it so, the creatures may have mutated into something, to something dangerous, but I didn't, they didn't square with any astronauts who were outside the perimeter. I, it didn't make sense. We levitated over a wide, shallow valley carpeted in lush flourishes. A valley floor sloped towards a lake. The scene was surprising pastoral and serene, but I couldn't shake my misgivings. About a hundred metres above the rise, a small dot floated on watcher drone. It guided towards us. A second one climbed to the left. Then a series of human heads appeared along the crest of the rise. Women and ch- women and men, women, men and women. Their heads bopped up and down, rising. Then exposed shoulders, then chests, then complete bodies. They galloped naked over the rise like a herd of two-legged mustangs. They had no arms. My body froze, eyes cold in horror and disbelief. Some of their torsos ran, ran smoothly. 
distant from shoulder to upper rib cage. Others bore the bony herbs of crevices that marked where their arms had been locked off. Patches of armpit hair decorated their shoulders. The cars drifted out of their way, and the runners stampeded past. We followed close behind the horde of an altitude, altitude about five meters. Mane and thick hair flopped from their heads, and woolly pubic hair covered their crotches. And men wore beards. Their complexities varied from bronze to ivory. Aside from the lack of arms, they were excellent toned specimens of human. They sprinted with a valetic, effervescent grace of wild animals. A few flickered glances in our direction. Without warning, the group veered to the left. Moved on passive, like a scholar fish. It darted to the right again in perfect syncopation. A funding of hundreds of meters. The hundred fun, hunt, they funded for hundreds of meters, never losing speed, never tiring. Nearing the lake, they stopped, slowed to a trot. They halted in the meadow along the water's edge. The herd milled onto the grass, sweat wrestling in their sleek bodies. Though their torsos bellowed with its search, none looked spent. Men see, see, the, men, the men seemed lucid streams of piss. A couple of women lowered the heart and to half corpse and also pits are tallied in their numbers, counting fifty four men and twenty seven women. I recognized tattoos of many of them, confirming this feral mob of armors and naked humans were my astronauts. I needed several moments to process the abominable scene for which I shouldn't have been shot as the Tisrael committed many ghastly acts. To us humans before, as I looked, I managed to ask what happened. An experiment, Ruth wrote answered. The Dusma wanted to test humans' resilience, so they chopped off their arms and let them loose, let them loose like wild animals. There is more to it than that, Roach coughed uncomfortably. The Dusma also revealed their vocal cords to point to see if humans. It said he said that. This, as if he wasn't one of us, could interact and build a society without handicaps. Quite ambitious, don't you think? I wanted to throw up. I wanted a gut punch, Roach, and scratch his eyes out. But my duty was first and foremost to these astronauts, so I remained composed. We found humans to be quite adaptable. Once they got into either the initial shock, they formed this herd. Disney and the Dismal made them run? No, it's something the humans did on their own. Group therapy, I imagine. Without a trace of irony, Roach added, Too bad they can't tell us why. A group of ten wandered to the lake. They splashed through the reeds, wading where the water was waist deep, bent over, and began drinking. One of the women knelt on the grass and angled her head. Another woman stood beside her, and balancing on the left leg, lifted the right used her toes to groom the other's hair. It's quite remarkable how they learn to use their feet as hands and cooperate with the other. All without the use of spoken language, the creasiness deepened, Roach sensed my, sensed my distress and handed me a canteen. I accepted it reluctantly, thinking it could carry over the perceived, pers- carry that persuasive musky stink. But it smelled sweet and tasted refreshingly cool. The tall one 
Boats pointed to a specially arranged astronaut is number one one five. He bore the tattoos of red lightning bolts across his chest. I said, Fight could Officer McNeil. Use his name, not a number. Get closer. No, don't be fooled. They are very dangerous. The fence and the comrade. They meant to keep them out. For the first two week, years, they acted docile. Roach explained. I was walking among them when they attacked. They kicked me to the ground, and the MI5 commander, McNeil, jumped on top of me, and he bit me there here. Roach slipped one of his shoulders out of his jacket to expose a crescent-shaped scar on his upper arm. He shrugged back into the coat. Another time the hovercart malfunctioned, I had to hike back to the compound. They chased me and escaped only by locking myself into the building. I built the fence to keep them from sneaking in to wreck the place and kill me. Birch handed his hand and had, um, on the butt of his pistol, and Desma allowed it. They consider it part of the experiment. I'm not allowed to harm the humans, except for Dyer's self-defence. I mean Dyer. He raised his left hand and revealed a missing finger. The dismal yanked it off in punishment for letting the prisoners get the better of me. I was I would have yanked it. I would have yanked of it more than this pinky, feeling lightheaded and still greasy. I looked. I took another sip from the canteen. My ease to ease my troubled stomach. Look, Roach announced. Four of the astronauts clustered together. Three men and one of the black women. One man began licking her breast. Another muzzled, nuzzled her from behind while the third man began sucking the first man. Fully aroused, he sat on the ground and lay on his back. The woman straddled him. One of the other men lay between the other men's open legs and used his feet to guide the penis into her. This is unusual, we've said. They usually hide when they have sex. What should you do to call them, anyway? He pointed, enthusiastic. They help each other with everything. It's a remarkable exercise in cooperative culture. Bowel rose in my throat and I drank more water to wash it down. My priority was to help these astronauts. Then if the opportunity presented itself, I would get revenge on Roach. What happens when the women get pregnant? Elfspring in the next millstone of the project, but alas, it eludes us. Adisma wanted to see how they would raise a normal child, but the proof has figured, that, figured out that Adisma was hoping for, so they did everything to frustrate him. If pregnant, the women tried to induce a miscarriage. Two failed. One committed suicide by drowning herself, and the other jumped off a cliff. Roach said this, said this so clinically, I wanted to smash my fist into his face. But I was nauseous and clenched my harness to the ready to rain steady. My mouth began to feel numb. Something clinked against the body of the hovercart. Something else zinged past my ear. Roach yelped and grabbed his hand. Then he pulled his hand away. Blood stained his fingers. McNeil and twenty others had stuck behind us, the armless astronauts. Clutched rocks with their toes and kicked towards us, firing the rocks with impressive velocity and accuracy. Roach hollered and commanded at the robot that he climbed out of range. Below us, the astronauts bounded up and down in a victory dance. You see, how cunning they are. Roach explained, they only screwed, screwed it in front of us. It's a distraction. My mind wobbled and my hands and feet grew cold. The images of what I had seen spun through my head in a dizzy kaleidoscope. 
I remembered one of the art symbols for the main building. One of that one that resembles stocks. You captured them, don't you? I, I accuse I accuse rage bubbling in me, but unable to find it attraction. You raped him. You got those women pregnant. They aren't the only ones trapped in those hellhole roads, said. His eyes darted to the canteen. The sweet taste of water turned sour. I had been poisoned. I gagged and heaved, but I could but could vomit nothing. I tried beating ropes with the canteen, but he wretched, wretched easy from my hand. You quizzling bastard, I scrambled at his pistol. I'm going to my folks fact rented. I poured at his holster, but my hands and fingers it seemed like made of rubber. He swam in and out of focus as I asked. It's just even one more there's even more to this, isn't there? His voice straight dwindled and faded. These prisoners are not to be repatriated. The experiment continues. His spirit silhouette melted a grey hay gay haze and my thoughts my memories, all my sensations, everything was was me smeared into the fog. I dissolved into nothing else. Alternative darkness as night swung on my face like I was whirling on the merry-go-round. Pain seared one shoulder and then another. My mouth was forced open, followed by pain inside my throat. I felt it up, upward towards consciousness. I was fully aware, aware, aware and awake. I was running.